Speaking of fellowship, um, 1 John 3, 19 to 24. 1 John 3, 19 to 24. I'm going to read it for you. And I want you to listen. Um, let me pray for us and then we're going to read together. Father, in the name of Jesus, so that Jesus is glorified. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do as Jesus said you would do, that you would counsel us and guide us into truth and remind us of everything that's been said. So right now, we need you to be our chief counselor to take us to Jesus, to show us Jesus so that we may see the Father, so in the triune nature of God, you are glorified and we find great joy. We need you to do that now. We pray you'd overcome barriers of unbelief, hard hearts that won't repent, lies that serve as barriers between. And I pray, Father, that you'd win the war there so that fellowship can be had and we find great assurance before you and with each other of our salvation. Please do that this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First John three nineteen to 24 By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He had commanded us, or has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God, and God in Him. And by this, we know that He abides in us by the Spirit, whom He has given us. Fellowship, if we had a title, an overarching title, fellowship gives assurance of gospel transformation. Fellowship gives assurance of gospel transformation. One of the things we know from the Bible is the heart of man is desperately sick. When you read the word heart in your Bible, you can also say soul. When the Bible talks about the heart, it's not talking about the, the muscle here in your chest that pumps blood through your body. It's referring to the, the soul of man, okay? Does that make sense, right? So, kids, don't ask Jesus to come live in your heart, okay? That's weird, all right? Does that make sense? You know what I'm saying? Like, like when, when you get saved, you trust in Jesus, you're following after Him with your life. You're saying, Jesus, I believe all the Bible says about who you are and, and who I am, and I'm turning away from the rebellion, and I'm coming to follow you. Follow Jesus. Does that make sense? Repent of the rebellion and follow Jesus. When the Bible talks about the heart, it's referring to the soul. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah 17:9 that the heart is desperately sick. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah 17:1 tells us that sin is written on the tablet of the human heart with a point of a diamond. Our souls, because of the fall, are desperately wounded. And often, our sick soul condemns us wrongly. John says here in verse 19, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. What is this? By this. Well, everything we talked about last week. 
When John says, by this, he's referring to verse 11 through verse 18, that by this, what he talked about last week, and that is us being in fellowship with one another, that us overcoming barriers of sin against each other, by us overcoming barriers of all types between us, by the fellowship we have with one another, and the love that we have for each other, by that we know that we're of the truth, and thus we reassure our heart before Him. In light of this previous passage, some of John's audience may have been just a little bit besieged by an improperly working soul, that was still being sanctified, and they needed some reassurance. So how does John reassure them? Well, he reassures them with verse 19 to 24. I want to insert a note here, okay? In the following points, I've got four observations from this passage today. Four observations and four applications, all right? In those observations, I want you to understand that fellowship is not a substitute for the gospel, okay? Hear that. John's assumption from the introduction of the book is that these people have believed the gospel and now they are in fellowship. So belief in the gospel solidified and therefore they are now in fellowship. The gospel saves and fellowship results. Said another way, fellowship as a resultant product of the gospel's work in people provides tangible evidence of God's work thereby producing a multitude of glorious byproducts. And in this instance, assurance. Let me say it another way. Fellowship as a product of the gospel produces many glorious realities. And one of them is the assurance of our salvation. So by this, we will reassure our hearts before God. And that is through our fellowship with one another. Our love for each other. One of the great things as a result of the passage last week is the Lord beginning to work on souls that needed to learn to love each other. And John says to his readers here, who he is writing to, to reassure them, to encourage them. Remember he wrote, he wants them to know of the assurance they possess in the gospel. That in spite of the super spiritual people who've laid on them unscriptural things and they've walked away and condemned them as unspiritual he wants them to know no you're very spiritual you possess the spirit of god he dwells in you the anointing from god rests in you and rests on you and you know the truth and he says i want to write to you first john 5 13 so that you might know that you have eternal life but he's reminding them that that you know you have eternal life because you love each other and he comes here in verse 19 and says, By this you know that you're of the truth and reassure your heart before Him. What's this? That you love each other and are in fellowship. So when we talk about fellowship this morning, I'm not substituting fellowship for the gospel. My presupposition is that if you're here this morning, chances are you believe the gospel. Okay? And as a result of that, fellowship is a glorious byproduct. And that fellowship should serve as a reassurance that you know God. Does that make sense? Okay. So let's jump into observation number one from verse 19. Fellowship and love provides assurance of our possession of eternal life. 
Fellowship and love provides assurance of our possession of eternal life. Again, verse 19 to 24 is connected to verse 11 through 18. By our love for each other, we reassure our hearts before the Father that we are indeed His children. We can be assured of our status before the Father by our love for each other. A a Christian who practices love toward each other has great assurance that they know God. Now, the opposite of that is true. If you do not love one another, if fellowship is absent, then you have no grounds for saying you have believed the gospel. Again, I'm going to say it. Fellowship is the biggest challenge to the Western church. Because we have the idea that we can exist in a relationship with God that is isolated to me only. And so I can watch preaching on a podcast or listen to it on my iPhone. Never have meaningful interaction with other Christians who are on my mission and are on the same mission together. And I am a follower of Jesus. That is untrue. That is a foreign concept to the Bible. John starts the book out with the Gospel and reminds us that this Trinitarian reality of the Gospel is a relationship-oriented reality. That Father, Son, and Spirit are intimately connected and therefore fellowship is built on Trinitarian reality in the Gospel. And as the Father, Son, and Spirit are never isolated from one another, never operating from one another, never operating outside of their intended purposes in the Trinity, likewise we are to never be outside of that kind of fellowship. Our fellowship is predicated on God's triune nature. Meaning, as Spirit is never isolated from the Son and never operating apart from magnifying the Son, likewise I can never be isolated from you without loving on you and showing you deference. Some of the things we talked about last week. If fellowship is absent with other Christians, I have no assurance that I know the triune God of the universe. Because God is in fellowship, and He saved us through this gospel glorious triune reality, we then are transformed in such a way that our fellowship is restored. We love one another. As the Father, Son, and Spirit love one another, we are to love one another, right? God is love. And He says, then turn and love each other like that. And if we don't love each other, and are in, not in that kind of fellowship... We have to begin to question, what have we believed? Have we believed the gospel? Does that make sense? John says, this is how we have assurance before God, that we love one another. We cannot be absent of Christian fellowship on a great commission course and have known the God of the Bible. If that were the only observation from this text today, There's enough there to spend the next 20 weeks unpacking practically. Because if we took an observation of the Christian culture of Roman Floyd County, we would start to notice that it's not as Christian as we think it is. Because there are multitudes of people who will say they are Christians, yet totally isolated from the body, totally isolated from the Great Commission, totally not engaged in the glory of Jesus among all nations with a group of people loving on each other in community, 
And the question is, are they really Christians? Can you be a Christian and be isolated from the body? And biblically, the answer to that question is no, you can't. You believe the false gospel. The gospel is communal in nature. The church isn't a, an afterthought. The church is the bride of Jesus purchased to make much of Jesus together, deferring to one another. Remember those things we talked about last week? Submitting to one another. All those ways we love one another. And so therefore, if we love each other and in fellowship, we have great assurance that, man, God has transformed my soul, man. I love people. I love the body. I want to defer and submit and honor and respect and revere and not backstab and, and lift up and exalt my brothers and sisters. And you look at your soul and go, dang, that's not normal for me. I must be transformed. That's because you are. When God takes self-centered creatures and makes them very others-centered, that's a work of the gospel. Right? Remember last week, John said, By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and what led our lives for the brothers. When you're willing to love on them more than yourself, the only way that happens is because Jesus has so changed you. And you know what? You have great assurance. Man, I really believe the gospel. I'm in the kingdom. This is great. We have great assurance. But there's also, again, that flip side to repeat. If there's no love for Christians, there's no love for the body, no love for the Great Commission, no desire to transform or discipline my life so that I can be with the body, we're going to get to application number one in a few moments, but we need to examine that. We need to examine that. Observation number two. And my observations are very long. It's hard for me to not be wordy sometimes, so I'm going to say it slow. Trust the Lord to work out in you what He needs to work out. When the heart condemns, when the soul condemns, run to fellowship. Love like crazy and take confidence that Father knows your heart. Read verse 20. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And He knows everything. Remember we told you on the very front end that the heart is desperately sick. It's wounded. It's broke. Sometimes it falsely condemns us, right? Sometimes we are in fellowship and we know we love the brother and yet our soul condemns us. You feel condemnation. You feel judgment from God. Anybody, you don't have to raise your hand, but anybody in the room feeling some of that? Quite regularly? I do. So John, remember, is writing to Christians, letting them know, hey, I want you to have assurance that you know the Father, that you believe the Gospel. And so this is how we know. is we love each other, we're in fellowship. What he says in verse 20, sometimes our heart condemns us. And when our heart condemns us, remember, God is greater than our heart and He knows everything. Sometimes you're loving people. Sometimes... You're in fellowship and still you feel like God hates you. Or that He sees your sin. And the bad day that you had is because of the sin you just committed. Remember, we're not Buddhists. There's no such thing as what goes around comes around. And by the way, the next time I hear a Christian saying that stuff, I'm going to have to do some rebuking. Please 
Stop. Now I'm not saying you, I mean Christians in general. Don't say Buddhist and Hindu things and baptize it in Christian life. Be aware of what you say. In the Gospel, there's no what goes around comes around. If that's the case, we'd all be little piles of ashes crushed for our rebellion. If what goes around comes around, I'd be dead. The reality is what I did got put on Jesus. He took it to the cross for me. And my sin crushed the Son so that He could then by faith and repentance give me life. And I will never be counted guilty, past, present, or future. That's gospel reality. Does that make sense? And so the glorious truth is that sometimes our heart will falsely condemn us. What do we do? Run to fellowship, love like crazy, then take confidence that God knows the heart. A condemning heart is one that will rob a believer of peace. And this morning, if your heart is condemning you and you believe the gospel, and you have assurance because you love each other, and you're in fellowship, let me say to you, don't believe every emotion and do not believe condemnation. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it, Jeremiah says. Listen, do not believe your heart. Do not follow your heart. Don't live the life of a Christian in Disney World mode. Do not follow your heart. It will not lead you to life. It will crush you because it is deceitful. Just because you feel it doesn't make it reality. I don't know if you've noticed Jeremiah's answer to his question when he says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who could know it? Who knows the heart? Who knows the soul of man? God knows the soul of man. More than one Christian has accused himself falsely or been harder on himself than they should be. But the truth is, Father will never make such a mistake. Isn't that awesome to know? That sometimes we may be harder on ourselves than we should be. And our heart may be condemning us. Our soul may be lying to us. And we find our assurance in the gospel and the fact that gospels produce love and fellowship. And God will not make the mistake of falsely accusing. A Christian who walks in love has a heart open to God and knows that God never judges wrongly. Let me give you two illustrations from the Scriptures. Mary and Martha. In Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42. You guys know the story, right? Martha's busy serving and making everybody comfortable, and that's not wrong. Okay? Mary has decided to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to Him teach, and then Martha's kind of fired up. It's like, hey, Mary's not helping me. And does Jesus go and say to Mary, Mary... Get up off your lazy rump and go help Martha. No. Jesus says she has chosen what is better. Shouldn't Mary probably have been helping Martha? Yeah. But does Jesus condemn her for not helping? Why? He knows her heart. Mary has chosen to sit and listen to me today, and that's okay. He knows her heart. He recognizes, does He condemn Martha for not sitting down and listening? No. Why? Because He knows Martha's heart. Does that make sense? 
He doesn't condemn either one of them. There's a little stress and friction between them because one thinks one ought to be doing the other and one thinks one ought to be doing the other. And Jesus condemns neither. Why? Because He knows their heart. Knows their heart. Peter, Mark chapter 16, verse 7. You ever notice? You know what Peter did, right? He betrayed Jesus. And you notice what Jesus did in His grace and kindness. He made sure He singled out Peter. Go tell the disciples and... Peter, to come and meet me. Why? Because Jesus knows his heart. Listen, guys, when your heart condemns you, and you know you love, and you know you're in fellowship, run to fellowship. Love like crazy and take confidence. God knows your heart. You know what? Sometimes when our heart is condemning us, the best thing we can do is text, call, email somebody that we're close to and say, man, I'm in the weeds today and I feel the condemnation of God. I need help. And you need to be available and ready to go, hey, remember the gospel. Remember the truth. Number three, third observation. An assured heart comes confidently to Father to ask for the kingdom because that assured heart knows it loves God and God's people. An assured heart comes confidently to Father to ask for the kingdom because that assured heart knows it loves God and God's people. Verse 21 to 23. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. That's almost a no-duh, right? You know, you know when, when like you're feeling the power of the gospel, you're kind of like tracking with it that day? You're like, yeah, God really loves me. This is great. And you feel like praying, right? There's confidence. You're like, thank you, John. I get that. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. An assured heart comes confidently to Father to ask for the kingdom because that assured heart knows it loves God and God's people. When you love and are in fellowship, you have assurance that you know God. When you love or are in fellowship, sometimes your heart will lie to you, run to fellowship, love like crazy. And then third, you come confidently to ask Father for the kingdom because you know you love God and you love His people. I want to give you three little things underneath the third observation to help us get our hands around it a little bit. Number one, fellowship in the gospel provides confidence in our walk with Jesus. All of us need confidence in our walk with Jesus. And we get that by being in fellowship with one another. There's nothing like being with people that you're close to, walking together in the gospel, and seeing life together, and watching God work in them, and then tasting the grace of God to you in their life, and this interconnectedness purchased by Jesus for us begins to work itself out, and our confidence grows that I can walk with the Lord, I can help you walk with the Lord, and there is a growing love of Jesus and love for each other that is only produced by an assured heart in fellowship purchased by the Gospel. So fellowship in the Gospel provides confidence for us to walk with the Lord. 
Maybe some of the reason some of us don't do more in the kingdom is because we just aren't assured that God has my back. And it could be that that lack of assurance is absent because there's a lack of fellowship and love for one another. But when we love each other, we're in fellowship, our confidence grows in the gospel. And guess what? We will attempt great things for Jesus. Because our confidence in God is strong. You ever look at some of these cats in the past who are dead guys? And you read their lives and you see, God, they did great things. They took great risks for the kingdom. You know where that was birthed? It was birthed in community. The modern missions movement was birthed as a group of people together got caught in a thunderstorm in a haystack. In prayer, together. And the Lord birthed a movement out of that. It wasn't in isolation. But when we are together and loving one another because of the glorious reality of the gospel and fellowship, our confidence grows in the God of the gospel. And that's a beautiful thing. Second little observation under the third observation is fellowship in the gospel provides powerful and effective prayer. Fellowship in the gospel provides powerful and effective prayer. Notice... Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him. Because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And it talked about prayer a few weeks ago. Powerful and effective prayer is not prayer that is centered on us getting more. It is communion with God whereby we ask God for His things so that we can be effective in the Great Commission. And when we are in fellowship and we love each other because of the Gospel, that provides the avenue for powerful and effective prayer. Prayer does not exist as a chain that we can yank to get God to give us more. As Emmett said, it is a walkie-talkie whereby we have direct communication with the general, the God of the universe, so that we can get His resources for His mission. And when we are in fellowship with one another, that is the vehicle for powerful and effective prayer. So make sure when you gather together that you pray. This past Wednesday, we were gathered in the place that we, the little group that I'm part of, that we gather in, and somebody texted me and asked for prayer. And we were in the middle of talking. Somebody was saying something. And I just interrupted and said, hey, you guys, let's pray for this person. Because this person just texted and said, pray for them right now. This is going on. And what did we do, guys? We prayed. That's, that should be common occurrence and common practice. Listen, this is just a practical piece here. When the Bible was written to the churches in the New Testament, it was written to small groups of people. The church at Corinth may have been about 60 people, maybe less. In the West, we do church a little bit different because we, it's okay to do things culturally acceptable. Does that make sense? Right? And so Paul's instruction often makes sense in a smaller group setting because it's easier to do in a smaller group setting, which is why we do... Connect groups, and we do Sunday school. Other churches have their strategies. Why? Because we need to be in smaller groups of people. When you gather in those groups, make sure you're praying. Listen, let me just, I'm going to throw this out there for you. If you're waiting on Sunday morning so that you can get your prayer on, 
you need to go to Matthew 6 and read Jesus very carefully. Enter first into your closet. And the God who sees secretly will reward you openly. This isn't the primary place you should be getting your prayer on. If this is the only time you're seeking the Father in prayer, repent. Get private with the Father. And the Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Does that make sense? So when you gather in your groups, by all means, pray. And if that's all you do, you did not waste your time. Does that make sense? Because fellowship is a vehicle by which prayer begins to, to, to go and mobilize. Why? Because when we're together, guess what happens? You know what? I am kind of hurt. Would you pray for me? Heck yeah! Let's pray now! And you know what happens is sometimes distance can squelch prayer. When you're not in fellowship with people, what don't you do? Talk to them. And if you're not talking to them, guess what's not happening? Communication. If communication isn't happening, guess, not, guess what is, isn't being transferred? Needs, requests. When you get together and you spend time doing life together, you know each other's needs. You know how to pray. And you should, in that moment, pray. And that is powerful and effective prayer. So do not neglect gathering together in those times so that you can be praying with one another. Fellowship in the Gospel provides the ability to persevere in the Gospel and to love one another. It is easy in isolation from each other to no longer persevere in the Gospel and walk away from Jesus. We need one another. We are desperately in need of one another. And we must do all we can to love and be in fellowship with one another. Fourth observation. In our last observation, we're going to do some quick application. Verse 24. Assured hearts have the Spirit dwelling in them. We know because the Spirit provides assurance. John 14, 18-23, Jesus says that in sending the Holy Spirit, that He, the Son, and the Father would come and make their home with His people. You need to listen carefully to Jesus in those chapters. John 14, 15, and 16. Go home, get a sheet of paper. If you don't write, get your laptop open or your tablet. Make a list. Observe everything Jesus says about the function and ministry of the Holy Spirit and write it down. Jesus says that when the Spirit is sent to us, that He, the Son, and the Father would come and make their home with us. That's kind of cool. Because it's not just Spirit, it's Trinity. It's the Father and the Son coming and making their abode with us. This is cool. If you believe the Gospel, guess who's residing in you? Jesus. The miracle worker. The one who heals. The one who fixes. He is with you and He is in you. Glorious reality. Okay? Glorious reality. In other words, the Spirit is the presence of the Father and Son within people. And thus His church is made up of people. This isn't earned with obedience or seeking. It's a gift of the Gospel when sinners repent and believe. I want to say this very carefully. The exceptional occurrences in Acts are not prescriptions for how the Spirit comes on individuals. 
Acts is not prescriptive, it is descriptive of the work of God through the Gospel in the work of the church. If the exceptional occurrences in Acts are prescriptive of how the Spirit comes on individuals, then Paul got shafted, the Ethiopian eunuch got shafted, Lydia got shafted, Simon got shafted, and the slave girl got shafted. Right? Does that make sense? Acts is not prescriptive. It is descriptive of what happens when the gospel advances from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. Ezekiel 36, 25-27. I will sprinkle clean water on you. This is Ezekiel prophesying of the new covenant. Listen carefully. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. 1 John 2.27 John assures them that his anointing abides in them. And this anointing is a reference to the Spirit who is their teacher. Therefore, he says, next few verses, no need for anybody to teach you because the anointing one, the one who anoints, is your teacher. So John tells them that the way they know God abides in them is by the Spirit they already have. How do they know they have the Spirit? They love God by believing the Gospel and loving each other. In the New Covenant, He's given you a heart that wants to love Him and love others and the Spirit to carry it out. How do you know you have the Spirit? Not because you had an ecstatic utterance or because you had a vision, but because you love each other and are in fellowship. And Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 13. When he's talking about gifts... He says in chapter 13, let me show you the most excellent way. If you speak in the tongues of angels and men and have not love, you're a clanging cymbal. So it, listen, demonic worshipers speak in other languages. That is no evidence that anything supernatural has taken place in you that's of the Spirit. You know how you know you have the Spirit of God is you are intimately, radically committed to another person's eternal good and doing it in a way that's appropriate to their wiring. Remember our definition from last week? That you will not divide yourself from the people because they're more important than me. I love them more than me. I'm committed to them more than me. I'll die for them because I love them. If that's you, then the Spirit of God dwells in you by the promise of the new covenant. Does that make sense? Because man, it does no good to have an Acts 19 experience and then be divided. That was the church at Corinth's problem. They had all kinds of spiritual gifts going crazy all over the place and they weren't loving one another. Read chapter 5. I can't say it because there are children in the room. It's not pleasant. But man, they were having stuff. You know how you know? Because you love each other. You love each other. Love each other. Here's some application. Four points of application. Number one, 
This may be a little uncomfortable. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Test yourself. 2 Corinthians 13.5 tells us, Test yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Do you not realize Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail to meet the test. How do you know Jesus is in you? We've been all morning talking about it. If you love each other and in fellowship. If you love each other and in fellowship. If your heart is not regenerate, and you are continuing to be separated from the body, then you may need to feel the condemnation of the gospel in order to be saved by the gospel. Listen, this is a hard thing to say, but because your eternal good is more important than your temporal discomfort, I want you to hear this. If you do not love and are in fellowship, repent, come to Jesus, believe the gospel, be transformed, run to fellowship and love each other like crazy. Because that's how you're going to find assurance that you know God. Is that not what John said? Listen, condemnation is bad for the Christian because the Christian never stands condemned. If an unbeliever feels the condemnation then that's a grace of God. Because what does Jesus say? He who does not believe stands condemned already. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. If you do not love and are not in fellowship, my invitation to you is repent, come to Jesus and be saved. And that condemnation will turn to Holy Spirit conviction on how to do what's right. Not condemnation on whether or not you know God. This is how important fellowship is. We deny Trinitarian reality if we do not love and we're not in fellowship. If your heart is regenerate and you love and you're in fellowship and you feel condemnation, know this. Do not believe your fallen emotions. Recognize that condemnation is coming from the evil one. And it's okay. Jesus knows your heart. Does that make sense? Number two, don't justify sin, just repent. Don't justify sin, just repent. Man, Romans twelve eighteen says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Listen, you do what's right to love and be in fellowship. Remember I said this last week. You do what's right to love and be in fellowship. And if the other party will not love and be in fellowship, Jesus will take care of them. But as far as it depends on you, be at peace. Love and be in fellowship. But if you are in sin, don't justify it, just repent. This is a beautiful truth of the indwelling Spirit of God. As Jesus said, He will convict concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. You know what the beautiful thing is about the Spirit? is You never really have to wonder if you're in sin. He will tell you instantly. 
Like you have that moment where, like I, this is me. This is just this is how I uh, it works with me. I can say something totally harmless, at least in my estimation, and within about two point three milliseconds, there is this thing that happens inside of me when I recognize that wasn't right. And they probably didn't hear that the way you meant it. And like I feel bad, my stomach gets queasy. And like I either have to apologize or go home and then like like do this, like la, 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 la. Because he's talking to you, right? And you just want to drown it out. That's conviction. And that is a precious gift of the Lord. And when that happens, just obey. Just say, man, I'm sorry. I think I said this. I didn't mean to say that. Would you please forgive me? Or just like do whatever you need to do to make it right. Because here's the deal. Conviction's a precious gift. It's this internal thing that takes place where he just lets you know that wasn't right. That wasn't holy. Let's make that right. Let's be holy. All right? That's a precious gift. And so don't justify the sin. Don't cover your ears and make noise thinking that you can't hear him. He loves you too much to let you go. Conviction is a glorious gift of godly grief that leads to life. Paul said to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 7, 9 to 10, As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For I tell you, for you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance, at least a salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Worldly grief, condemnation. Godly grief leads to repentance, conviction. Do you understand the difference between the two? How do you know? You love each other and you're in fellowship. If you love each other and you're in fellowship, the difference between condemnation and conviction is clear. If you do not love each other and you are not in fellowship, you are confused as a golf ball in high weeds. You're lost as a goose in a hailstorm. I think one of the challenges of our culture is we've heard a false gospel for so long that it's hard to know the real gospel when we hear it. So many of us heard, pray this prayer and don't go to hell. And that's what we've pinned our hopes on. That's not the gospel. That is not the good news. The good news is this. There's one God, not many. He's the creator of the universe. Made man in His image. We rebelled. And as a result, our hearts were fallen to a desperately sick status. But in the fullness of time, the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God, who made you in His image, came and He took on flesh. He died in my place for my sin and rose for my salvation. So that if I repent and believe and come after Him, He will take all of my guilt and give me all of His perfection and put His Spirit in me, transform me, and bring me into His heavenly kingdom. Therefore, repent of the rebellion in your hard heart. Come to Jesus and follow after Him. That's the gospel as best I understand it from Genesis to Revelation. And that's my invitation to you. If you are properly being condemned by the gospel this morning because you have not believed the gospel, believe that message. Come to Him and be transformed. He'll put His Spirit in you, change it, teach you how to love each other and be in fellowship. He'll do it. If you have believed that message, run to that message over and over again. Do not run from it. Love each other like crazy. Run to fellowship. Third application. If your heart condemns you falsely, 
Then sprint to the gospel and find relief for your soul. Preach the gospel to yourself. If your heart is condemning you falsely, preach the gospel to yourself. Ephesians 6, 10-20, armor up. Fourth application. If your heart does not condemn you, and you are at peace and walking in fellowship, then fight with all the vehemence and violence you can muster in the gospel to guard that peace of heart and that peace of fellowship. Let me say it another way. If you're walking in love and in fellowship, fight with all the God-given Holy Spirit violence you can fight with to guard that peace. That makes sense? Say it another way. Make war. Make war against a failure to love and a failure to be in fellowship. If anything stands in the way of loving, make war on it. If anything stands in the way of fellowship, make war on it. I'm convinced that as we begin to talk through things, even in in my little connect group of guys, one of the things we keep coming back to is that if we do fellowship right, it requires a massive reorganization of my life. And the question is, do I love you enough to reorganize my life around you? How many do you... How many of you does that stab in the heart? I've had the knife in my heart for 79 weeks as long as we've been in fellowship. The reality is life is so busy for so many of us because we've constructed a world that requires that busyness in order to keep up that we have no time for each other. And the question is, am I willing to let those things go because Jesus and you are more important? And then the, then the question is, well, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to let go? I've built my life in such a way that I've got to do all these things in order to keep up. You know, that may require getting rid of stuff. For some of us, it may require getting rid of a job. For some of us, it may require getting rid of a home. It may require getting rid of a car. It may require getting rid of a hobby. It may require letting tons of things go. But the reality is, if I love you and want to be in fellowship with you, I've got to reorganize my life in some regard. Does that make sense? How many of you feel like you're properly busy? Right? Don't raise your hand. Right? It's just right. You got the balance figured out. Right? Right? How many of you feel like it's right? I got fellowship. I love. I'm intimately connected to other Christians. I'm doing the Great Commission. I'm preaching the gospel. I'm in the Word. Right? And nobody like feeling pretty good right about now. Right? But. But here's the thing. We have to be striving toward that somehow. Listen, I don't have the answer to what that looks like fully other than I know that there has to be a constant effort in my life to love you and be in fellowship with you. Because that's how I reassure my heart before God that I know the truth. So you know what? Those times of fellowship that are set aside, I can't just not be part of that with those guys. I have to find a way to to build my life around that. Because they're that important. Because they matter that much. Because Jesus loves them that much. And you know what? I need them as much as they need me. 1 John 3, 19-24. Hey guys, listen. This is going to be work. This is going to be work, and it's going to require lots of effort on our part. 
But how many of you want to love each other and be in fellowship like that? Man, I do. I want that bad. And day by day, moment by moment, I'm learning what it means to repent and turn and make small changes to get to that place. You want to do it together? I do. Let's strive for that. Let's pray. Father, thank You for... Um, thank You for Your Word. Sometimes I say thank You for Your Word. Sometimes, Lord, uh, I wish I hadn't read it. Sometimes I wish I hadn't seen that because ignorance is bliss. Um, and that's a lie too. Ignorance is death. Um, and I confess that to You, Father, that that's just the true thinking of my soul sometimes that lies to me and I buy the lie. And, um, but the reality is, Lord Jesus, I need You to convict me concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. I need You to... I need you to cause me to love like crazy, run to fellowship. Father, I pray you teach me how to do that. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will give ears to hear. Father, I pray that there would be a hearing beyond the words that have come out of this fool's mouth today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will apply far beyond what has been spoken through these lips. I ask that you would do a work of conviction and grace. I pray that you would save, that there would be a transformation that would take place in some soul today. And pray that you build a fellowship. Pray that you build a body of people who love and are intimately connected to one another. Radically committed to each other's eternal good. Giving it in a way that the person can receive it. Let us be that, please. Hey, just I'm going to be very Baptist for a second, so I'm sorry. If you just kind of keep your heads down for a minute and spend some time with the Lord. Um, I want, to, I want to give you an invitation, okay? There's going to be people standing in the back. And there's some of, some of your pastors are going to be standing back there. Man, if the gospel has landed on you with, new, with, with something today that's different, I, I'm firmly convinced that, that there are people who, who maybe have just started to understand the good news. And that's you. Please come back there and find one of us. We'd love to pray with you and counsel with you and, and help you to see, see the gospel clearly so that you can repent and believe and come after Jesus. Maybe there, maybe you're just you need prayer. We'd love to pray with you. Um, maybe you need to do some active repenting. And only the Spirit can tell you what that looks like. That maybe looks like talking to somebody. It may look like um, you just spending some time praying. But this, most definitely, Jesus loves for us to sing to Him. And so as we sing, often He does a great work as we sing. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Spirit set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work to which they were called. I have a feeling as we minister to the Lord in song that He also will teach us what we need to do to repent. So for all of us, let's sing to Him because He enjoys it. And then let's respond to Him as He would prompt us, whether it be to believe the Gospel 
or to repent or just for counsel. But would you obey and do that as he would lead this morning, please?